The scripture reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 and going through verse 33. Paul is writing to the Ephesians here, and he has just admonished them to walk circumspectly. And then he's going to talk about submitting to one another within the church, and then more specifically, the relationship between the husband and wife, and what is the proper relationship. So beginning at verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, We think about the many good things that have happened this week and then things that will be happening in the future. And want to remind you that the elders have designated two weeks from today, it'll be November the 9th, for us to think about the sacrificial giving that we can do. God has blessed us richly. In Luke, the 12th chapter, we're taught in uh, a parable or in a story there that to whom God gives much, he requires much. And when we look at the life of this congregation and, and we think about the 117 years that we have had in, as a congregation at this one location, and we think of the many ways God has blessed our church family here. And what we want to do is receive those blessings and be wise with them so as to not only bless the community that is around us now to have a light that is shining from this place that shows Jesus Christ. But we want to be able to let that light shine for generations to come. And as God blesses us with additional families and additional individuals, we say to God be the glory, but to us comes a responsibility. You know, there are three major things that we have to consider as we grow. We've had to do this for 117 years, and I don't guess it'll stop. We have to have a place to park. We have to have a place to meet to worship. 
and we have to have a place to have our Bible classes. Uh, when we went to two services, that really created a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us to be able to invite so many more people to come and, and to learn of Jesus. And as you know, in the back, there's more parking under construction and there's more parking with the 2040 property being purchased. And if you're visiting with us or if you don't know, uh, our campus begins at the traffic light. And uh, with the exception of the wedding chapel that's next door, all the way down through here begins our campus. So there's parking all up through there. And so that helped tremendously when God blessed us with that. But one of the things we've not been able yet to get a handle on is having enough classroom space. And so this addition is going to be a wonderful, wonderful gift uh, for us. And, And let's make sure that we plan. Let's make sure that we're prayerful. And let's make sure that we're really sacrificial. The goal's been laid out there of $125,000. we are expecting that this edition is going to cost somewhere between $800,000 and a million. Uh, we'll be able to know for certain very soon, hopefully, at least what the projected cost is. And so the goal is if, if we could put out 10 to 15% down uh, through this one offering, what a blessing that will be. Uh, how does that translate? First and foremost, it translates our responsibility individually. Uh, No one's asking anyone to do what God would not ask you to do. No one's asking you to do more than what God would ask you to do. And so we're not suggesting something to put false guilt upon anyone. But if we as a group are going to try to achieve a goal, you could break it down in several ways. One would be every member of the congregation giving about $125. Another way would be every family unit giving somewhere around $300. Another way to look at it would be everybody taking what is normally your average Sunday contribution and giving four times that much to this special giving. Those are just ways for us to kind of get a grasp on how is it possible for us as a congregation to give $125,000. But none of those are, are magic. None of those are what we're saying, hey, everybody do that. Much more importantly, we're saying pray about it. Let's invest in the future. Let's invest in the present. Let's sacrifice for the greater good of God's kingdom much more important than any of us individually. Be prayerful about it, and then let's see what we can do in the future. As we think about fireproof, there's been a lot said, and the reason we're going to mention it again at least one more time this morning in an announcement form is because really today is a very pivotal point. It's a very critical point. Many of you have seen the movie. It's been wonderful to hear the results, the results of people saying, hey, it really strengthened our marriage. The results of some saying it's already made a huge impact on our marriage. And then for those that want to go a little bit deeper, you'd like for the next six weeks to dig deeper into this topic with others that also have that same interest. We do have the small groups. There is a sign-up sheet at the display that's out to the foyer just behind this wall here. As you go there, go ahead and be thinking about if you have children, Monday or Tuesday night is probably going to work best for you. Both of those groups meet here at the building. If you don't have children, there's a group that will be meeting at the Kef's house, which is closer to West Elementary. There's a group that will meet at Gladeville Community Center, if that's closer for you. There's a group that will meet in Hickory Hills. Now, neither of those three will have babysitters at them, but if that is convenient for you, be sure and sign up and let us know. Those groups will be meeting on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. As you think about this also, please think about who is it that you could invite to go see the movie and then come and be a part of it. Friends, we're hearing that this movie is having a huge impact on our lives and on other couples' lives. 
if you have a friend, if you have a family member, if you have a neighbor that, that you think that they are somewhat open to the idea of working on their marriage, this would be a wonderful time for them to strengthen their marriage and also perhaps come to know Christians that live in their area and come to see how beneficial it is to open the Word of God and study from it. Now, there are uh, pamphlets that are at the display that you can take and let the people that you're going to invite know about that. But then also keep in mind, all of us can help strengthen marriages. Can you, will you, be willing to come and babysit children on a Monday or a Tuesday night sometime over the next six weeks? We have about 60 slots we need to fill to help the young families with their child care on Monday and Tuesday night over a total of six weeks, about 60 slots. Obviously, that would be 60 folks signing up once, or it would be 30 folks signing up twice. But what can you do for the good of our marriages? What can you do to help? There are a lot of things we can do, and that's definitely one thing that would be a great help uh, to our church family here and to those families. That sign-up sheet is also at the foyer. Uh, Tomorrow, let that sink in, tomorrow... And Tuesday's not covered yet. Uh, If by the time tonight falls and it's not covered, we're going to be scrambling. I don't think that'll happen here. But keep in mind, if you're thinking, you know, I may can do that. Think about can you do it tomorrow? Can you do it Tuesday? Because there's still some open slots on that. And then think about what you could do over the next few weeks. This morning, we'll kick off a six-week series on relationships. Two of these in the series, the one this morning, and one more throughout the five weeks that will remain, will deal primarily with marriage. But only two of the six will be primarily dealing with marriage. The other four will be dealing with relationships. Yes, we will carry the idea, the theme of fireproof, the idea of making something in such a way that a fire could not damage it. And we think about the movie. We think about the lead character being a fireman. And even though he's able to go in and and he's able to save people from fires, his frustration is he can't figure out how to save his own marriage. And the beauty in the movie is that we're actually able to go to a theater and we're actually able to watch a movie where marriage is honored And the answer to a good marriage is to find a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What a beautiful gift that's being offered to America all across America in theaters right now. What a beautiful thing for us to think about. How many of us have been in maybe a similar situation where we say, you know, when I go to work, I seem like I can do everything right. I seem like I'm able to get a grasp on it. I'm able to to do it in such a way that people say, great job. Would you like a promotion? We're thinking about giving you a raise. But then I come home, and it seems like I can't do anything right. It seems like instead of praise, I get complaints and I get criticism. Instead of feeling like I understand what's happening, I feel like everything's spiraling out of control. And where at work, I know what to work on. At home, sometimes I feel like throwing up my hands because I've tried and I've tried 
and now all I feel like doing is giving up. Friends, many of us have been there. And if we're involved in a relationship of marriage right now, all of us have been to the point that we can say, I can do better. I want to work on it. As we think about this, I'd like for you to notice the title this morning is not just loving and respecting. But we began this title with the word learning. All great relationships are made up of individuals that are first willing to learn. What is it that I need to know in order for this relationship to be what God wants it to be? Just because you walked down the aisle with a spouse and you heard a preacher ask a question, do you, and you said, I do, and he pronounced you husband and wife, that is not an education. That is not a learning tool. That is simply the ceremony. The question is, have I learned what I need to do to be the godly husband, the godly wife, that helps build strong relationships. When individuals are in serious trouble, and it doesn't matter how serious it is, I always ask them about three things. Number one, do you want to be married to each other? You see, there's not really any way that we can build a strong and healthy relationship with each other if we don't want to be married to each other. It's sad to say there are a lot of people in America that are married but they'd rather be married to someone else than to their spouse. But when the husband and wife both can say, I want to be married to my spouse, we're talking commitment there. Number two, are you willing to learn what it takes to have a strong marriage? You're not born with it. You don't just evolve into that kind of knowledge over time. The only people that know that are people who have become students of good marriages. And so then the question is, are you willing from this day forward for the rest of your life to become a student of marriage? Now here's the tough one. Number three, once you learn, it always costs. Are you willing to pay the price to put into life the things you learn? Over this next six weeks, we'll have... We'll have over a hundred of us participating in these groups where we're going to be studying about how to strengthen marriages. And you know what? The real question will be, well, as individuals, when we leave those sessions, we'll learn something. The real question will be, when we leave, will we put it into life? That's where it costs. As we think about this, think about the beautiful passage of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Never has marriage been complimented any more highly than Ephesians 5, where he likens the relationship between the husband and the wife to Christ and the church. It is in this setting, as Hollis has already mentioned in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, notice there in verse 15 again, if you have your Bible open, that is where he says you walk circumspectly. The idea of walking circumspectly is carefully placing your steps. You've heard me illustrate it in this way, because in in my mind, this helps me understand it. it. It's not where you're walking on a wide level sidewalk. How many of us, if we're walking on a wide-level sidewalk, we carefully place our steps? You know, if you saw someone walking on a sidewalk like that, you think, what is wrong with them? But you know, if you're going up a steep, steep trail and you're out hiking, then you probably, literally, watch every step. Make sure you're not rolling 
uh, your foot doesn't have a rock that's going to roll out from under it. Make sure you step over the crevice in the ground there. This is what the Lord is teaching. Are you willing to walk through life carefully placing your steps? Anytime we become casual in our relationships, we are going to make serious, serious mistakes. And so here as he lays the groundwork of this careful living, he then, we read in 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, as he talks about submitting to one another in the fear of God, there are many who take this passage. And I'm going to tell you what I believe after studying it, uh, you take it and, and it's your Bible and it's your relationship with God and you have to decide. But I think that there's come a little bit of itching ears. I think that it's come a little bit of, hey, it's a lot easier to swallow. And so people have taken verse 21 and they've tried to tie it directly to the very next verses in the sense to say, see, he's talking about husbands and wives submitting to each other. If you deal fair with the passage here, you realize that he is introducing a topic for the next three paragraphs. The next three paragraphs are how we are supposed to be submissive people. And so he lays it out like this. He says, church family, are you ready to submit? Wives, are you ready to submit to your husband? Children, are you ready to submit to your parents? Bond servants, are you ready to submit to your master? And in every one of those, it's about, are all of us ready to submit to the Father? Because in each of those, if you have your Bible open, you notice in 22 where he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Notice, as to the Lord. It's not because your husband is such an awesome guy that you submit to him. It's because of who your God is, your relationship with God. Look at the 6th chapter in verse 1. Children, you obey your parents. Why? In the Lord. For this is right. It's not because your parents are always right. It's because submitting to your parents is right in the sight of God. And when he looks at the bond servants in the 6th chapter in verse 5, once he teaches that submission, he closes in saying, as to Christ. Now, we can look at other passages that would be very important. 1 Corinthians 11th chapter in verse 3, we have an order of submission. Christ came to this earth and he submitted to the Father. He tells men, you submit to Jesus Christ. He tells women, you submit to men. You see, again, the question is, are we as a people, are we willing to be submissive? Romans, the 13th chapter, the first six verses. God is asking us, not directly, but indirectly, God is asking us over and over and over. Are you willing to submit to my ministers? Now, you know who his ministers are in Romans, the 13th chapter? Government. God says, I use government as my ministers. They're going to bring justice. They're going to bring punishment on evildoers. Are you going to submit to my ministers? You see, the point is this. If we're going to have the marriages, if we're going to have the families, if we're going to have the church family that God wants us to have, it's going to have to be humble people that are willing to say, I give up my rights as an individual to fully submit to the plan that God has laid forth. Submission has nothing to do with an individual's worth. It's not that a wife is worth less than a, than a husband. It's not that Jesus Christ is worth less than the Father. It's that 
God has designed specific roles for us to fulfill. Every one of us here, Romans the 13th chapter, verse 17, are to submit to those speaking in a spiritual sense to have authority over us. That would be our elders. Are we willing to be submissive people? When we do this, we bless the relationships that we're in. Now, along with this teaching of submission also comes the teaching of headship. Husbands, are you willing to be the head of your home? Now, that's not easy. Because what we're saying is we'll take the responsibility to lead our family toward heaven. We can't make our family follow us, but we're saying I'll take the responsibility that I'll lead in that way. And if my family won't follow in that way, it'll be because they've rebelled against godly leadership not because of the absence of godly leadership. That type of love, he says, is like Christ had for the church. Now with that in mind, I'd like to take your eyes to the end of this in the 33rd verse. Notice in Ephesians, the 5th chapter in the 33rd verse, we've had this beautiful paragraph here about the relationship of husband and wife and how it's like Christ in the church. And it's a challenging passage. And notice how he closes almost with a summary. He's going back over some things that he's laid a little bit of groundwork for. And he says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, isn't it interesting that both of those characteristics that are mentioned there, love and respect, are characteristics that every husband and wife are to have toward each other. We're to have both of those toward each other. But isn't it interesting that he targets the men and says, Men, I want you to make sure you love your wife. He targets the wives and says, I want you to make sure you respect your husband. Husbands and wives are different. You know, there's a great differences that we could talk about, the difference in male and females, men and women. One of the things about our difference is it's interesting that whenever men talk about what they need from their wife, there was a survey done where men were asked, would you rather feel neglected and unloved or would you rather feel disrespected? Women, what do you think your husband's going to say? Would you rather feel neglected and unloved or would you choose to feel disrespected? And this is talking about the relationship of the wife toward the husband. How is the husband going to answer that? 76% of the men said they would rather feel unloved and neglected than to feel disrespected. There is something about the makeup of men, wives, where God has created us in a way that we can go to work and we can get pats on the back at work and we can have people to tell us we've done a great job and we can have our friends say, man, you're doing really good, you're doing great. But if the wife doesn't respect the husband. Life's just not right. There's always an emptiness. There's always a pain. And so whenever wives just do the opposite, instead of respecting, they criticize and they nag at. That literally is cutting to the quick 
of the average man. Now on the outside you may see a tough layer that acts like it doesn't hurt. But for most men, that is a very, very painful dagger. Respect is so important. Now think about that word love. It's interesting that even though husbands and wives both are to love each other, he says especially to the husbands, love your wives. Now, if you have your Bible open, flip over one page to Philippians. And in Philippians, the second chapter, it's neat in verse 2 that as we have this passage of really the book of Philippians, but especially the second chapter, we have this teaching about unity. And notice what he says in verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And notice this having the same love, being of one accord. And we say, well, what is this love? God's saying, I want husbands and wives to love each other. He's saying, I want husbands to remember, hey, love your wives, love them. What is this love? Or is he saying, hey, I want you to be romantic. Is he saying, hey, I want you to sweep them off their feet. Hey, I want you to take them on such a great trip that that she's going to know you love her. I want you to buy such a large gift that she... What is love? The love that he's talking about here is agape. And that's the love that is the highest love that a husband and wife will ever share with each other. What can we learn about agape? Still have your Bible open? Look there, Philippians 1, and he tells us about this love in verse 9. And I want, I want especially husbands to think about this. Are we doing this in our relationship with our wife? Philippians 1 and 9, and this I pray... So this is Paul's prayer for, for those of Philippi. This ought to be our prayer for our marriages, for our, all of our relationships in our church family. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Pause there for a moment. Is he serious about this love being a lot? The word abound means to overflow like a river overflows its banks in flood season. So he's saying, I want your love to abound And then he says, I don't want it to just abound once. He says, I want it to abound more and more and more. We have this source of love. God first loved us. We have this source of love and God's love continually comes in our life and we continually let that love abound and abound and abound. Well, what is this love? Let's continue reading and see what this love does. That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ and being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Do you love your wife in this way? That you have learned knowledge, you have learned God's will, and you practice that towards her. And that's not the only knowledge. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 teaches that we're to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. The teaching there is we're supposed to learn our wives. How well would you do on a test if you had to answer for your wife? You see, that's the idea. I need to love enough to learn. I can't properly walk through life leading someone toward heaven that I do not know. And I do not know how God expects me to do it. I need to learn. But notice this learning is going to help with discernment. Do I love enough to learn enough so that discernment is judgment, decision, so that I can make righteous decisions in my relationship with my wife? But notice the third thing he says, that we can prove the things that are excellent. Do I love my wife enough that I have learned and I've made decisions that now someone says, wow, their love for their spouse is an excellent proof 
of the holiness and the blessing of marriage. I want you to imagine that there's someone at work and that individual is talking to another individual. And the first individual says, yeah, my girlfriend's going to move in with me this weekend. And the other individual says, you know, that's really not the best way to have a relationship. The first individual says, why not? He says, well, that's just not God's plan. The best way is through marriage. And the first says, how can you say that's better? And the one turns husbands and looks at you. Says, you see him? Haven't you seen the relationship that he has with his wife? First person says, yeah. It's a pretty awesome relationship to have. That is how it's supposed to be. He says here, prove things that are excellent. Can I say the way I love my spouse proves to other people that God's way of loving other people is excellent? Friends, we make a powerful statement about marriage every day. We, we have people out in the world every day that they're watching us and they are either drawing a conclusion that Christian marriages are a tremendous blessing or they're saying they're like everybody else. And we have to decide if we're going to prove that. But as we conclude, as we conclude, I'd, I'd like for you to notice as we go back to our text of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 32. It's interesting. I wish we had time and we just don't. But, but in 31 is the original pattern of marriage. And... And, you know, that was stated in Genesis 2 and 24. And so now he states it again here in verse 31. And then he gives this conclusion. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's just given the pattern of marriage. Of, of a husband leaving his mother and father, cleaving to his wife, and joining, becoming one flesh. And then he says, this is a great mystery. Oh, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Mystery means that that is unknown that we will never know unless it's revealed to us. We look back in the third chapter of this very same book and we see that there was a mystery concerning the Gentiles and once the new covenant was given, that mystery was made known. In other words, it was revealed to us. Isn't it interesting here that it's not wholly revealed to us? What's the point? I don't know for sure. It's not wholly revealed to us. But I know this, that when the Lord talks about marriage... He continually reminds us, this isn't just about you. Remember when Jesus quoted this very same pattern of marriage in Matthew the 19th chapter, and after he got through quoting it, he says, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. In other words, he quotes the pattern of marriage, and he says, oh, let me give you a reminder, it's not just about you. Ephesians 5, Paul quotes it, and what does he say? Oh, I'm giving you just a little insight. There's a mystery going on here. It's not just about you. Friends, we are able to share and to be a part of something that God has literally designed mankind to be a part of. Old commentary. I want to close by reading you a line out of this old commentary as we think about the love that we are to share with each other. And it's not something that we just gather on our own. It's not something that we just develop through years of working out our own differences. 
If we want the love that God has designed, it's agape. It comes from God. We have to be taught it. Learning to love and respect. Learning. We go not to belted knights or tales of chivalry for our ideas about devotion to our wives. Instead, we go to the foot of the cross that we may see in Jesus our perfect example. I want to ask every husband, will you today think about the love that placed Jesus on the cross and then ask yourself what you will do differently this week? toward your wife because of that love. I want to ask every wife, what will you do this week because you have seen in God's Word that your husband needs your respect? Great marriages, we don't have them on our own. But when we are submissive people at the foot of the cross, God blesses richly. This morning, have you submitted your life at the foot of the cross? Are you a faithful Christian? Have you ever been baptized into Christ? Or if you have and you've fallen away, do you need to come back? Let's make sure that we live our life for God. And in that, every relationship we're a part of will be blessed. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.